Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, everybody. Good evening. And we begin the readout tonight with a question. How many weeks, days, hours need to pass before we start fighting in earnest for our democracy? And I mean really putting up a fight, making noise and giving it the urgency its fragile position deserves. And I ask because we are already past the point of hand-wringing. And bipartisanship, yeah, that fantasy ship has sailed. We, right now, tonight, are at the point where the big lie is positioned to hijack our democracy by 2022. With Trump emerging, albeit with wrinkled thighs, a incoherent mind, and maybe even an adult diaper, back on the campaign trail, under the banner of Stop the Steal, with his partisans having positioned themselves in state governments and in the United States Congress to help him pull off in 2024 what he and the January 6th insurrectionists tried, stealing the election. Stop the Steal is the insurrectionist Republicans' banner. Democrats, what's yours? Because seriously, there are plenty of folks who are terrified by what we're seeing and frankly baffled by the Democrats' weirdly cordial response. You'd think in the face of actual autocracy that things would feel a little more hands-on. And it isn't just me or my friends who are saying this. People who are famous for their conservative beliefs and who have devoted their entire careers to promoting democracy abroad, including in some ways I personally have opposed in the past, they are saying it too. People like Max Boot and Jennifer Rubin and David Frum are out here sending out SOS calls saying, America, wake up because their former political party is about to steal our democracy right out from under our noses. We've got democracy scholars, 100 of them, signing a public statement saying that American democracy is in grave danger and that suspending the filibuster to pass voting rights is vital to ensuring that we continue to be a democratic republic. And if that's not enough, listen to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In an interview from 1963, raising the same alarms, when senators back then were dithering on passing federal legislation to protect civil rights and voting rights. The tragedy is that uh, we have a Congress uh, with a Senate that has a minority of misguided senators who will use the filibuster to keep the majority of people from even voting. They won't let the majority senators vote. And certainly they wouldn't want the majority of people to vote because they know they do not represent the majority of the American people. In fact, they represent in their own states a very small minority. Did you hear that? That was 58 years ago. And we defied the odds because eventually the filibusters failed. And after two more years of struggle and racist violence, we finally got a Voting Rights Act. And yet now we're reliving the past verbatim. Who else needs to say it for Democratic leaders to proclaim that this is a state of emergency? You you can't say that you weren't warned. Enter West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who this weekend officially crushed any chance that we can save voting rights at the federal level ahead of the 2022 election. You know, voting is the bedrock of our democracy. 
an open, fair, secured voting. We used to go around the world and explain and show and observe voting pr uh, procedures in a democracy. And now if we can't practice what we preach and we're going to basically do an overhaul, an 800 page overhaul of the voting uh, rights or what we call For the People Act. I think there's a lot of great things. I agree in that piece of legislation, but there's an awful lot of things that basically don't pertain directly to voting. Well, we sent Manchin's office a list of questions to find out what he specifically objects to in the For the People Act. And if he agreed that our democracy is in danger, his office has not responded. Joining me now is Nancy McLean, historian and author of Democracy in Chains. And Nancy, thank you for being here. I interviewed you for, for, for my book, as a matter of fact, because uh, I read Democracy in Chains. It scared the hell out of me. But as, as we say on this show, scaring is caring. I think it's important for people to be real. That last thing yes. that Joe Manchin said about, well, you know, you can't pass a, a bill without bipartisan support um, that changes our democracy. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution— 33 Republicans voted in favor, zero Democrats voted in favor. The 15th Amendment to the Constitution, 39 in favor, zero Democrats in favor, because those were the bills that essentially gave citizenship and voting rights to the formerly enslaved. No Democrats voted for that. They were the conservative party at the time. The Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, again, 36 in favor. They were all Republicans, zero Democrats in favor. None of those are bipartisan. What's, as an historian, what do you make of Joe Manchin's claim there? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, he is really living in a past that doesn't exist anymore. Um, it would be lovely to have bipartisanship, but this Republican Party has shown us for certainly over the last decade, that they will do nothing in a bipartisan way. I think the problem is that Senator Manchin and, unfortunately, I think some other Democratic elected officials really have not fully come to grips with the fact that we there is no more Republican Party in the way that people understood that party, that many people voted for it for the years as a normal major party in our system. What has happened is that the major arch-right donors, you know, most famously the Koch Network, um, have so transformed the party and have so brought it to heel with their agenda partly through putting in dark money to elections uh, and rewarding those who comply and penalizing those who don't, and also by arousing the Republican base voters with a steady diet of identity, agitation, of misinformation, etc. And so, you know, it, there is the constant barrage of noise, and I think he needs some of his colleagues to go and walk him through connecting the dots, that this is not an isolated instance. You know, on, on measure after measure, we now have two ideological parties, but every political scientist and scholar who studies this will tell you that the Republicans are the most polarized, the most extreme, the most resistant to factual evidence, and that they will not cooperate on anything. They have shown that most dramatically with their refusal to support an investigation into the most serious attack on our capital since the Civil War. Now, a party that will not do that, a party that has shown in state after state and nationally that they believe the only way they can win now is to suppress the vote, a party like that is not going to vote for yeah. 
any kind of voting rights. So, and they're so not, he's living in, in a green world that no longer exists. Exactly. And they're not, and none of them the are going to vote for the, um, none of them are going to vote for the John Lewis. You can call that thing John Lewis and Dr. Martin Luther King Act. None of them are voting for it, Joe Manchin. I don't, I, he's he, right. But I want you, you, you touched on something I think is very important. Manchin said that he doesn't support everything in the bill. He wouldn't tell us on this show what it is he doesn't support. But I suspect the parts that he don't, doesn't support and that Kristen Cinema and some of the others don't support are the stuff the Chamber of Commerce doesn't like. The Chamber of Commerce is supportive of both Manchin and Cinema and some other Democrats, these Chamber of Commerce Democrats. And you talked about the Koch brothers. There was a great piece in The New Yorker about how the Koch brothers have gone all out to stop this bill, to stop the For the People Act, not just because they oppose, they don't like voting rights. And you can explain to us why these super rich, mega rich people don't like people to vote, but they also don't like the end of dark money. Dark money is in this bill yeah. to explain what these super rich people really want. What these super rich people really want is something so frightening that they understandably do not ask for it by name, but instead they have operated by stealth for years now, steadily rigging the rules of our democracy until we are at the point now where I think about it almost as a noose. There are so many threads in the noose on our democracy now that that it's almost impossible to count them. You know, you can start with the destruction of collective bargaining power for public sector employees begun by Scott Walker in uh, 2011, move on to the voter suppression bills that, you know, there were 180 of them in 2013, the worst gerrymander that we've ever seen in our political history, the most sophisticated gerrymander that enabled this uh, project red map to take control of over 30 states capitals um, and the court effort to use dark money to get uh, Supreme Court judges, uh, justices confirmed like Brett Kavanaugh, like Amy Coney Barrett, like John Roberts. You know, all of this has been extremely coordinated on the right. It's part of a very, very interwoven long-term strategy. And until we understand that strategy, we're shadow boxing. Because we cannot look at any of these issues in isolation, whether it's the voter suppression or the attempts to make it so that legislators, can, state legislatures can can count the vote however they choose, or yeah. the efforts to uh, undermine the independent judiciary in states like my North Carolina. All of these things are part of an integrated strategy that is slowly shackling and strangling democracy. And we need figures like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema to understand that that's how much is at stake. I will say people should be aware too that they the coke backed right is up in joe mansion's grill in his home state right i mean american prosperity is organizing heritage busting people from surrounding states running constant ads so they are really going after him and and kristen cinema to try to make sure that they don't support democratic priorities there you go and that is the piece that i needed people to understand and that is why i wanted to talk to you nancy mclean thank you very much read democracy and chains y'all it'll scare the hell out of you but you need to read it joining me now is congressman jamal bowman of new york and i hope that you were able to hear some of that congressman because this is the piece we don't talk about it's easy to say Joe Manchin does not care about black people, right? He doesn't have a lot of black folks in his state. Not, he don't need them to win. Who knows if he's even going to run for re-election in 2024? His numbers are deeply underwater, by the way. He's in the 30s in terms of approval. He probably can't get re-elected. But the question then becomes, why would he do this? Because he is friendly with the chamber. 
He's friendly with the Cokes. He's friendly with big oil. And those people want an oligarchy. They want a country where we can't stop them from drilling. We can't have universal pre-K. We can't have universal health care. We can't have these things because they're rich. They don't want to pay for it. So so here's where I want to come to you. You have uh, Senator Raphael Warnock, a good man, a man of God. Tell him political that he spoke with Manchin last night. And he says, quote, I remain hopeful. I think that Joe Manchin understands that he, this is a defining moment in American history. Our children are going to judge us. Grandchildren are going to judge us based on what we do right now to preserve them for democracy. You have John Tester of Montana saying, he said in the Wall Street Journal, he's like, I like to get this done, okay? I think, you know, being on TV and having a gang of reporters around you is fine. I just like to get things done. They're all sounding the right notes. But do they understand what they are dealing with, sir, in your mind? I don't believe so. I mean, this is a historical moment for all of us. Uh, We are a part of a system that is rooted in white supremacy. And it has evolved into a system where corporate backed actors and the wealthy elite are literally controlling Congress. The reason why they don't support H.R. 1 is not just the voting rights piece. That's a big piece. And that's very important. And we want to pass it retroactively so we can supersede what's happening at the state level. But H.R. 1 also gets big money out of politics and pushes through publicly financed elections. So I am one of a few Democrats who we do not take corporate PAC money because we don't want to be beholden to corporations. We want to be beholden to our constituents the people that we are supposed to serve. Joe Manchin and many others are no longer beholden to their constituents. They're beholden to the Koch brothers. They're beholden to the Chamber of Commerce, and they're beholden to the wealthy elite overall who have control of our democracy. This is why we can't pass a $15 minimum wage. This is why we can't pass common sense gun control laws. This is why we can't pass common sense immigration reform. We are not allowed to evolve into the multiracial democracy that we are because white supremacy has its tentacles around Congress in the form of wealth inequality and the wealthy elite controlling our Congress. Another thing, corporations within our system are considered people and money is considered free speech. That is insane. That is the system that we are currently operating within. And Joe Manchin, while he speaks to being, you know, holier than now and upholding our democracy and looking to save it, he's really upholding a system of white supremacy through wealth and equality through people like the Koch brothers. And, and I'd say it louder for the people in the back, uh, Brother Roman, because here's the reality. You're going to have civil rights leaders go and talk with Manchin tomorrow. Maybe they'll eventually try to talk to you know, the diva, Miss Cinema, who thinks that she's also running things. You, if you're not talking about that, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's put the people, put the, the, the list up here. We've got uh, people we think are opposed to changing the filibuster. We're not really sure. They're like open but not committed, 19 people. There are only three um, who are on the record opposed. Um, and you have 27 who say repeal the filibuster. If you're not talking, if, if those people who are open but not committed are also taking money from huge corporations that are also beholden to these huge corporations and to the chamber, and they need the money too, how do you convince them that voting rights are more important than that money? Because you're right, that money is keeping us from having health care, good schools, infrastructure. They don't want any of that because these rich folks don't want to pay taxes. <laughs> And they want to remain in power, not just on the federal level, but at a state level and city level. This is about minority rule, and this is about power. 
You know, we have Republicans represent 40 million less Americans than Democrats, yet they are wielding a disproportionate amount of power. This is about power. White supremacy is about power. So that's the other piece. And this is why grassroots organizing and mobilizing young people who think differently and believe differently about what America should be. This is why this is critical, because people are more powerful than money. And if we can get people organized in these uh, in states across the country to push back against the corporate elites controlling our Congress, then we can threaten their seats. And if we threaten their seats and run run in a couple elections and win in a couple elections, then we can see the transformative change that we need, uh, which is happening in the House. But it needs to happen uh, in the Senate as well. Uh, Charles Booker is one example of that. Getting people like him in there and many Mm -hmm. others can bring the transformative change that we need. And that is the thing they fear the most. Do the thing they fear. Uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, thank you so much for being here and preaching on this Monday. Appreciate you very much. You can get an amen from me right now. Up next on the readout, startling but not surprising, new reporting. We're on the same sort of train here about Mark Meadows' effort to get the Department of Justice, get this, to legitimize the most bonkers election theft theories in the final days of his boss's presidency. Plus, pop quiz. When is an AR-15 assault rifle just like a Swiss army knife? How about never? Tell that to tonight's absolute worst. Plus, do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. Kamala Harris's high-stakes first foreign trip as vice president to try to get to the root causes of mass migration from Central America. All that. And Jane Fonda joins me later in the hour. The readout continues after this. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. In pushing the big lie the late last year, the former president embraced a vast array of specious claims and dubious allegations, all of which were easily debunked and universally rejected by the courts that heard them. Now, the New York Times has revealed yet another more covert effort by the Trump White House to invalidate the 2020 election in the closing weeks of the last administration. Emails obtained by the Times show that Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows asked Jeffrey Rosen, then the acting attorney general, to examine debunked claims of election fraud in in New Mexico and an array of baseless conspiracies. And here's the kicker. That included a fantastical theory that people in Italy had used military technology and satellites to remotely tamper with voting machines in the United States and switch votes. 
So it's not just Margie Q. Green, who's cuckoo-cuckoo enough uh, to believe that Jewish space lasers really exist. Mark Meadows apparently believes that Italian vote-tampering satellites have been launched into orbit. According to the report, while the acting attorney general thankfully did not comply with the requests, Meadows' outreach to Rosen violated longstanding guidelines that essentially forbid almost all White House personnel, including the chief of staff, from contacting the Justice Department about investigations or other enforcement actions. With me now is Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark. This was, uh, Tim, not a surprising story. Just a few details here. I think it shows the urgency and the sort of desperation of the former president to try to stay in office, that he even considered replacing the acting attorney general with somebody who was willing to do the crimey stuff. Uh, what do you make of this reporting? Yeah, do I remember when Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch met on a plane tarmac and that was the biggest, uh, biggest attorney general crime of the century over on Fox and everywhere else? I mean, this is literally the White House pressuring the attorney general to try to interfere in an election. And it's completely next level. And, and, and here's the thing, Joy, this is not just a random, you know, oh, I got an email about the Jewish space laser and, and just whatever theory comes up, I'm going to talk to the attorney general. This is a concerted effort. It dates all the way back to 2015, where people in the MAGA orbit were trying to uh, uh, make the case that there is this network, a global network that includes the Italians and the Brits and these other countries that were that are trying to stop Donald Trump. I, I swear to God, it's the same theory that's tied to, if you remember, Obamagate. Uh, where they claimed that the Italians were working together to fabricate the Russia collusion. You know, all of this stuff is nutty, but but it is deliberate. And so I I think that it's extremely important, now getting to the politics of it, that the Democrats on the Hill make Meadows testify, create as much as pain as possible, get as much information out about this as possible. And I was listening to, to Representative Bowman before this, and you know he's talking about how great of a threat this is to the democracy and, and, and what that means for the bills that need to be passed. And that's true, but it also means you know how you have to act politically. And, yeah. and the Democrats need to act accordingly. If this is as great of a threat as it seems, and it is, they need to be dragging Meadows up there. They need to be using every tool at their disposal, just like Trey Gowdy did back with the Benghazi hearings, to ensure to maximize pain, get as much information out about what, what exactly was happening as possible, and make the Republicans own this. It, it cannot just be a story in the New York Times. I'm telling you, the voters are not going to see this that matters. You know, and the reason I like talking with you and talking with other Republicans is because I feel like, you know, disgruntled Republicans are the only people who understand politics. I worry that Democrats are so anti-theatrical. They're not even just untheatrical. They're anti-theatrical. They think, you know, uh, we'll just have a coffee with our friends on the Republican side and uh, we'll serve cookies and everyone will get a kind of cookie they like. And uh, you see, then this is how they react to literally our democracy crumbling in front of them. I don't get it. You have Liz Cheney out here saying that people couldn't vote to uh, convict Donald Trump, even though they knew he was guilty because they were afraid they would be killed by their own supporters. Liz Cheney understands how dangerous the people at the base of the Republican Party are. Can you understand why Democrats are so casual about all of this and why they're not putting Capitol Police and Mark Meadows and dragging and putting all these people on TV? Do you understand it? You know, I wish I could say yes, but I don't, Joy. I, look, I understand what the White House is doing. The White House has a big job right now. You know, they, they, they have to get this vaccine rollout there. You know, we just saw in the preview Kamala down in Guatemala. They have a lot on their plate. 
what is happening in the Senate, I'm a little bit confused about. You know, they, they, they let the Republicans off the hook with this Friday vote right before Memorial Day weekend where they, they killed the, the committee. Uh, you know, why did they hold the vote at that time? You know, why didn't they kick this into next week and make sure that there was, you know, a bigger show, as you were saying, around the fact that they're trying to cover up this domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol. Uh, that's, you know, it's just one little tactical thing, but I think it is an example of a mindset that is wrong. Uh, the mindset has to be do what is possible to create as much pain as possible and to get as much information out as possible. This is where the, the politics and what is right align, um, uh, you know, in order to hurt the Republicans for all their complicity and as in, in ahead of one sex. And, and I think that that same logic applies to, you know, some of the policy questions at hand as well. I, I don't get it. I, I really don't understand it. It's almost as if they don't notice that this is happening or they notice it, but they literally think that putting out policy papers will fix it in the New York. Put a policy paper in the New York Times and everyone will know. No one is going to see that unless one person, one of us on TV reads that on TV. Most people don't read the New York Times. They don't. I hope they do the puzzle because I was in the puzzle this week and you should do the puzzle. But other than the puzzle, no one's reading that. Tim Miller, I'm sorry. Certainly I'm, not I'm yelling. swing voters. I'm yelling at the at the world. I'm yelling at the clouds. Uh, Tim Miller, thank you very much. I really do appreciate you. I, I don't get it. Kamala Harris travels to Guatemala to address immigration issues on her first trip abroad as vice president. But first, a federal judge striking down a California assault weapons ban, saying these deadly weapons are really just multi-purpose tools, puts him in the running for tonight's absolute worst. Stay with us. This past weekend saw a spate of gun violence in cities across the country, which are now tragically all too common. In Chicago, five people were killed and at least 53 were wounded in a series of shootings. In New Orleans, a woman is in critical condition after being shot in the face early Sunday. Seven others were injured. And in Miami, three people were killed and five were injured after suspects opened fire on a graduation party at a strip mall. That just a week after a gunman killed three and injured 20 in a shooting at a banquet hall, also in Miami. The Gun Violence Archive reports there have now been 253 mass shootings so far this year, with 72 last month alone. Meanwhile, a federal judge in California has decided that that state's ban on weapons of war was, as he put it, a failed experiment. In a 94-page ruling Friday after overturning California's 32-year-old assault weapons ban, Judge Roger Benitez ruled that the state's ban on military-style rifles is unconstitutional. Judge Benitez, a George W. Bush appointee, argued that it deprives Californians of weapons allowed in other states. But the absolute worst is how he described the AR-15, which has been used in some of America's deadliest mass shootings, along with other military-style weapons like the AK-47. Judge Benitez wrote, quote, like the Swiss Army knife, the popular AR-15 rifle is a perfect combination of home defense weapon and homeland defense equipment, good for both home and battle that, of course, is totally illogical. A Swiss Army knife is a multi-purpose tool that you can use to cut up an apple. AR-15s are an adapted version of the M16 military rifle designed with one purpose, killing lots of humans quickly. California Governor Gavin Newsom said the comparison undermined the ruling and is a slap in the face to the families who've lost loved ones to this weapon. An understatement, to say the least. So federal judge Roger Benitez for making California an easier place to do mass shootings and doing so in a ruling that reads more like an audition to be the next president of the morally and literally bankrupt NRA 
you and the blood that will be on your hands when the inevitable additional mass murders happen in that state are the absolute worst. We still have a lot more readout to go, including the one and only Jane Fonda. Stay right there. I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. A blunt statement from Vice President Kamala Harris in Guatemala today, her first foreign trip since taking office. Harris met with Guatemala's president and community and civic leaders to address the root causes leading migrants to make the perilous journey north, mainly the economy, climate and food insecurity. The vice president's visit is to one of the Northern Triangle countries as part of a larger effort she's been tapped to lead to address migration across the southern border. In addition to her warning to prospective migrants, Harris also announced a new joint task force to address anti-corruption efforts and to address human trafficking in the region. Tomorrow, she'll meet with Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And joining me now is Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, and he's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, assess what it is that the Biden administration, in your view, Senator, can accomplish um, with this trip? Well, I think it's important to note um, why the vice president went to Guatemala. This is a country that still has a lot of problems, a lot of issues with endemic corruption, but they have made a um, much more fulsome commitment uh, to try to right the economic ship and security ship than the other Northern uh, Northern Triangle countries. Uh, and so I think part of the purpose here is to show uh, other countries like Honduras, for instance, that you can have a closer relationship with the United States if you get more serious about confronting uh, economic security and corruption issues. That being said, Guatemala still has a long way to go. So it was an important announcement that we're going to be sort of pushing them to get more serious about corruption. And I think also important that the grants that uh, Vice President Harris was announcing are mainly going uh, to the private sector, to entrepreneurs, for instance. Uh, it is, um, I think, a strong message uh, to these governments to say, until you get your act together, you should expect to see that USAID dollars as part of uh, the Biden administration's plan to lift up the Northern Triangle is likely to go to the private sector. Once you show that you can uh, fairly and efficiently administer uh, public sector dollars, U.S. taxpayer dollars, then maybe we'll think of uh, putting money through the government. Uh, I think these were important messages that she was sending on this first very important foreign trip. You know, it is notable that the, the first sort of clip that's come out of it has been saying, don't 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 go on the perilous journey northward. We're going to reject people who are trying to come through without prior uh, uh, permission. But when you think about getting close to the United States, I mean, in, in a country like Guatemala, in Guatemala specifically, that used to mean the United Fruit, uh, United Fruit Company used to run, essentially, Guatemala. They had something like 70 percent of the usable land. They owned it. Um, the 70 percent Mayan population were basically almost sort of slave plantation labor. And then we overthrew their government when they spent 10 years building, you know, just 10 years. They had a little democracy. We overthrew that joint in 1954. At some point, do we have a credibility issue when it comes to telling government to be non-corrupt when we essentially, we, you know, they had a 30-something year civil war. That was partly the CIA's doing. How do we then turn around and say, behave yourselves? By the way, our democracy is crumbling too. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, your last point is maybe the most important, right? We, we can't really be a credible interlocutor for fighting corruption uh, when, you know, we have uh, our own oligarchs uh, who are increasingly in charge of the decisions being made in Washington and state capitals. So we have to clean up our own act, which is why there isn't any distance between the democracy reform agenda in Washington uh, and our efforts to try to rebuild credibility uh, of our government and our country around the world and to try to clean up corrupt governments that uh, often end up in people making that perilous journey to the United States without documentation. So, yeah, listen, we always have uh, a credibility gap uh, between what we preach overseas and what we practice at home. uh, And we're fools to think that folks don't notice. So uh, the more serious we are in Washington about um, recapturing power for the people, uh, away from the corrupt elites, uh, the better we'll be at convincing governments like those in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador to clean up their own act. Can you, can you let Joe Manchin know that? Oh, sorry, I'm not going to give you that job, but uh, we, we'd love to somebody <laughs> have a conversation with him about that. I want to ask you, while I do have you here, there is this headline from NBC News that the U.S. has recovered $2.3 million in Bitcoin um, that was paid to these hackers, these dark side hackers in the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. We're increasingly vulnerable um, to ransomware attacks um, from other countries. It's difficult. They're targeting sectors that are not exactly the good guys, like the oil sector. What can we do about that? Yeah, I don't think we can rely uh, on sort of uh, this latest pattern. Uh, it, it looks like this might have been a um, a very unique circumstance in which we are able to recover this ransom um, through the cryptocurrency system. Uh, in the future, we're going to need a much more collaboration between the private sector and the public sector. I, I'm going to be honest, you know, over the course of the last five to 10 years, you know, we've seen these vulnerabilities in the private sector, particularly when it comes to critical infrastructure. And there's been difficulty in getting them to share information in real time with the government about the threats that uh, they are dealing with. We can't really help them protect themselves from these uh, foreign actors unless they tell us uh, what kind of hits that they're getting on their system. So uh, we've got to build a a better integrated system between, you know, the Department of Homeland Security uh, and the private sector so that we get real time information. Uh, We can share what we know with them. They can share what they know with us. Together, we can build, I I think, a better prophylactic. But there has been hesitancy from the private sector to sort of share with government. Maybe take their subsidies away until they agree to uh, share information that could help uh, national security. Maybe that, because they do get a lot of money. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy, thank you very much. I really appreciate you being here. And joining me now is Sergio Gonzalez, executive director of the Immigration Hub and former senior policy advisor to Senator Kamala Harris. And I want to jump back to what I was talking about earlier, because, you know, whenever we talk about this region, I can't help but then go into a deep dive on the history of this sort of Kissingerian foreign policy that got them where they are. I feel like there are a lot of chickens coming home to roost in the Northern Triangle countries. Is that is that fair to say in your view? Oh, you're muted. You're muted. I think you're. All right. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah. Unmute. <laughs> a year into COVID and still don't know how to work. With um, thank you for having me back. But I think that is fair to say. I mean, these challenges in Central America are long and tractable problems, right? And they started a long time ago. And I think the fact that this administration has committed itself from the beginning to addressing these issues is really important because these solutions are not going to happen overnight. I also think that you're right, and and Senator Murphy was right. 
What we do in this country is watched very closely by our regional partners and allies. And that's especially true for our for the for the southern hemisphere. And I also want to say on that note, the fact that Kamala Harris, I don't think this has been covered very much or been covered by uh, the pundits very much. The fact that Kamala Harris is visiting there as the first woman, female vice president, the first woman of color to visit that region, herself a child of immigrants, that speaks volumes as well to the people of those countries. It does. But at the same time, as you said, they can see and they can get on the Internet, they can see on TV. What we're dealing with in this country is that we have oligarchs that are attempting to take control of our country, just like oligarchs like the United Fruit Company took their country basically hostage and turned into a giant plantation. Right. And then they had a civil war. All of these outgrowths of autocracy, they're still dealing with them. And so no wonder they have a lot of corruption. No wonder they have a lot of poverty and climate degradation. And so they're doing the only thing they can think of a lot of these moms and dads and saying, get my kid out of here. Right. Are we in a moral position to judge what is the decisions that are being made by a Guatemalan mom when we've helped create the mess her kids are stuck in? Absolutely not. And I think that the problem that we've had with our foreign policy with regards to migration on the southern border is that we've considered it a crisis at the southern border when it's not a crisis at the southern border. It's a crisis in Central America. But I actually believe that um, and I give a lot of people and the American people a lot more credit for empathizing with the situation in which a mother chooses to separate from her child, self-separate, and send her child hundreds of miles north because she fears that her child is going to go hungry or is going to be killed by a cartel, or she's going to actually have to send her child away with the hopes that the child will have a better life in the United States. You're right. And, and I think it is, as you said, the symbolism of having a mom, a mom of color up there talking, uh, you know, about these situations. I think it is important. What general impact do you think that Kamala Harris has had thus far as vice president, both symbolically and practically? I think that there's been a lot of progress made in just a few months. This announcement was made back in April, so we're not talking about a lot, a lot of time. But already, I think there's been a really multifaceted approach which recognizes the complexity of the issue. She's announced partnerships with businesses and philanthropies, and that's extremely important because you actually have to start building economic opportunity, allow people to believe that there's going to be the opportunity to have a job, the opportunity to make a living in order to pay for food, because industries like the agrarian industry have been wiped out in Central America because of two yeah. hurricanes. I also think yeah. that she's... Has been allowed to expand legal pathways for immigration, which is really important, so people can legally come to the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we should also note that uh, that uh, Harris announced that the U.S. is going to be providing 500,000 coronavirus vaccines to Guatemala. That is hugely important and a very good thing. Sergio Gonzalez, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. And up next, actress and activist Jane Fonda joins me as environmental and tribal groups protest plans to replace an aging oil pipeline that could endanger sensitive tribal areas in the upper Midwest. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
activists today protested against the ongoing construction of the Enbridge Pipeline at the headwaters of the Mississippi River in northern Minnesota. Her organizers, around 2,500 people, attended the protests. As around two dozen protesters occupied and locked themselves to equipment at one of the pipeline pump stations earlier today. A Department of Homeland Security helicopter attempted to disperse them. The oil pipeline, which runs from Canada to Wisconsin, is meant to replace an aging pipeline that runs a similar route. Pipeline company Enbridge says the new pipeline is needed to improve safety and that the current pipeline is corroding and can operate at only half capacity. Opponents say that the pipeline, which will cross the Mississippi River, violates tribal treaty rights to the land and will exacerbate climate change. I'm joined now by actress, activist, and author Jane Fonda, who spoke at the protest today, and Tara Hauska of the of the Kuchiching First Nation. She's a trial attorney and a former advisor on Native American affairs to Bernie Sanders. And I want to start with you, uh, Ms. Hauska. Um, I understand there's a lawsuit trying to appeal a decision um, by tribal groups and environmental groups who want to overturn. Oh, I think we've lost her. I think we might have lost her. Right now. Oh, are you there? Okay. This is happening right now. That's perfectly okay. We're going to go ahead and watch what's happening behind you. I know these protests are still ongoing. Tell us what the tribe wants to see happen as you're as we're looking at what's going on behind you. What the tribes, pardon? What 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 do the tribes want to see happen regarding this pipeline? The three Ojibwe nations are suing against this project because it directly violates the Anishinaabe right to harvest wild rice. It passes through treaty territories. It's very, very clear. The law is perfectly clear. This is an illegal pipeline. And it's not in a similar route. It's actually in a completely new route. It's in a uh, untouched area, 100, 800 wetlands, 200 bodies of water. This is a new pipeline. The solution to an old aging line is not to build a brand new one through a new place. The solution is to clean up the old mess and move on from fossil fuels. Yeah, absolutely. And Jane, uh, let me bring you in here because you're using your platform to highlight this issue. You alerted us, and that's why we are have the two of you on. I feel like this is a story about America's constant subordination of our freedom and the freedom of our First Nations to big oil. Big oil just runs this country. We're just enslaved to them. Is that a wrong way to read that? No, I think it's absolutely correct. Big oil has its a stranglehold on our government. And while President Biden has done some wonderful things, and we're so grateful to him that he has um, rolled back some of the Trump policies when it comes to drilling and, and more fossil fuel development, but um, there's still too much that he's doing that needs to be stopped. He has the power to stop this. Let, let me just give up the big picture for a second. We are confronting a looming catastrophe. Catastrophe. Climate scientists are virtually unanimous that we have nine years to cut our fossil fuel emissions in half in order to keep global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius, no higher than that if we want to avoid catastrophe. They, even the conservative International Energy Association that usually supports new fossil fuel development is saying, no, this is it. We cannot, cannot do any more development, no more drilling, fracking, or mining of new fossil fuels. We can't even burn what we've already developed um, yeah. because because we, we ha we're going in the wrong direction. Fossil fuel emissions are rising and we have to cut them in half. Otherwise, it's a catastrophe. Otherwise, we're, 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 we're compromising the future of our children and grandchildren. This pipeline 
would bring double the amount of tar sands oil from Canada, as Tara said, across pristine land underwater that is very, very precious and pure headwaters of the, of, of the Mississippi. It has to stop. And Biden, President Biden, has the power to do that yeah. because it was it the permit was given as the Trump administration, the lame duck administration was on its way out and the proper environmental impact work wasn't done. They haven't really studied the impact this would have on climate, the impact it would have on the water. And of course, it, it flies in the face of environmental justice. Three things that the Biden administration has said that they are in favor of. He yeah. wants to be the climate president. So he must, must call on the Army Corps of Engineers to pull the permit and take a second look at this. And Tara Hauska, I mean, the, you know, the indigenous people have, have paid the price over and over and over again for hundreds of years uh, to, you know, the United States deciding we want more land uh, to put people on. We want more land to build pipelines on. We want more land for whatever we want it for. And now, you know, can you just speak from your point of view of the affront of taking this pristine land and attempting to run yet another oil pipeline through it, given what we've just heard regarding the risks of climate change? Land defenders all over the globe, led by indigenous people, we are 5% of the population globally, native people. We're holding 85% of its biodiversity. They are coming for the last sacred places on Mother Earth, and we are defending them. We've been defending them, and more and more allies and folks of other walks of life recognize that this is the one home that we have, the one shared place that we have. This is more than just an affront to climate science. It's an affront to future generations that have a right to live. It's an affront to tribal nations who have been here since before the United States. It's an affront to all of us who are no longer going to be treated as sacrifice zones. This is theft of land, theft of labor. That's what this country is founded upon. And it's time for a different time. Or it's time for a new era of justice and equity. Can, can, you tell, can you show us what's happening behind you and tell us a little bit about this protest that we're hearing that's behind you? Yeah, sure. So uh, what you're seeing is a you're seeing massive Enbridge um, Line 3 pump station. This is the amount of infrastructure actually needed to uh, electrify Line 3. It is tar sand sludge they're sending from Alberta all the way down through to through the Mississippi yeah. headwaters is their plan to the shore of Lake Superior. That's what you're looking yeah. at. Young yeah. people scaled the fences of this pump station this morning and locked every last bit of equipment they possibly could. There's a blockade actually up the road from where I'm standing right now. There yeah. are hundreds of people here who have been here holding space. Something has quickly, to change and we have to be willing to make the sacrifices to do it. Indeed. Jane Fonda, what can we do? How can we help? You can uh, call or write President Biden. You can go to firedrillfridays.com slash take action and you will find out exactly what to say and, and what to do to pressure President Biden to call upon an ending of this pipeline. We, we will do that. We will make sure we put that on all of our social media. I'll put it on my social media as well. Uh, Jane Fonda, thank you. thank you so much. Tara Hauska, thank you. Bless you. We're, we're, we're all rooting for you. That is tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley High Performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.